Three men on a course were asked, how would you like to be talked about at your funeral? One said, I'd like them to say he was kind. The second wanted, he was a good father. The third, look, he's moving. Isn't that the truth? (laughs) All of us would just be fine skipping death altogether. And I, I can identify with that third person. I thought when I read that earlier in the week, it just gave me a chuckle. And, but yet it's so true that, that, that would absolutely be our preference. Why is that? Death is so much a part of life, you'd think we'd get used to it by now. Uh, You'd think we wouldn't be bothered by the thought of our own death or grieved by the death of others. But we are bothered and Deeply so. There's just something about death and people dying. It, it, just, it just does not sit well with us. Did you know that all the combined knowledge of the ages has never definitively answered the question of why we die or more specifically of why we don't seem to be able to adapt to the universal reality of death. All all of the combined knowledge. If you want to look in the realm of philosophy, you want to look in the realm of science, uh, just religion itself in general, uh, there there isn't a, a definitive answer that's given. Now, science might tell us why something dies from a biological standpoint, a plant, a tree, an animal, even a human being. But what science can't tell us is why there is such a thing as death. Yes, yes, okay, we got that this died because of uh, this particular cause. But, But why is there even death at all? Now, some would argue that science has answered why we die. Science tells us that death is just a part of the natural process. Plants die, trees die, animals die, stars die. We die too. That, that's the, the scientific answer. And I have personally heard people say, that sort of thing. So that's true, but it's also true that human beings universally, although accepting that death is part of the natural process for plants and animals and and so forth, do not feel the same way when it comes to the death of other human beings, even human beings that we've never met or have any personal association with. To the normal thinking Human beings 
death seems uh, that there's something wrong. There's something wrong. Now, horrifically, we heard this morning, some of you perhaps did hear it, Julian prayed about it, uh, that there's several bombings in churches in Sri Lanka and hundreds of people now are dead. And the, just everything about that is wrong, right? It's, it's wrong. Um, it, of course, it's wrong today on Easter day. It's wrong that it was in churches. It's wrong that it was bombings. People were murdered. And, and yet just, again, we're, we're reminded about the wrongness of death. It just shouldn't happen. It obviously, especially shouldn't happen this way, but, but it doesn't matter how it comes. It's always something that seems that it's not right. Why is that? Well, interestingly, the reason we think that way is because death was never intended to be part of the human experience. So this sense that, that everyone has, it's universal, the sense that everyone has that, that death should not be is there because death should not be. When God created us, he created us to live forever. But something happened. And the Bible tells us what happened. So I want to give you the biblical answer and I want to clarify that this is, this is outside of the human wisdom that I was referring to a moment ago. So this, this is divine revelation. When we talk about the Bible, the Bible is, is spoken of by both those who believe the Bible and even those who don't believe the Bible as divine revelation. Now, those who don't believe the Bible would say, we don't need any outside source coming in to tell us anything. We can figure it out all ourselves. That's um, one way of defining humanism. Humanism is, we, we can figure it out. But divine revelation is, no, we need input from the outside in order to really know the truth about things. And so the Bible even though all the, the collective wisdom of all the ages has never definitively answered the question on why people died, the Bible does answer the question. This is what the Bible really deals with. You know, the Bible is not a history book in the sense of a world history. It's not even so much a history book in, in the sense of a history of the Middle East where much of it is... Uh, transpires the things that are recorded, but what the Bible is is it is a history of redemption. It's a history of redemption. It's the history of how God intervenes to redeem humanity and bring humanity back to Himself. Uh, but the the whole reason there needs to be redemption is because of this issue of death. And the Bible tells us that death came as a result of sin. So in the New Testament, in the letter to the church in Rome that was written by the Apostle Paul, he said this, he said, sin entered the world through one man, that one man was Adam, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. 
he says something similar to the church that existed in the city of Corinth in Greece. He said this there. He said, death came through a man. And then he said, in Adam, all die. So the account we read today of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, this is God's answer to the problem of death. See, that, that's, what, that's what these accounts are about. And we read together John's account, but we have a similar account in Matthew, a similar account to that in Mark, and, and one in Luke. All four gospels record the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Uh, each of them look at it from a slightly different angle and therefore give us different perspectives and insights into the events as they unfolded that first Easter morning. But this is God's answer to the problem. So you see, the Bible tells us the, the reason for the problem of death, and the Bible tells us the solution to the problem. That God did something about death. And that Jesus, who is God the Son, shared in our humanity so that through death, he would destroy death. That's what happened. That, that's why God, the Son, became a human being. Now, of course, Christmas, the other very well-known uh, Christian holiday or, or holy day, is the day that we remember what we call the incarnation. We remember that God took upon himself humanity at the uh, at Christmas time, the incarnation. But now at Easter and the Good Friday that preceded Easter, we come to understand just exactly why he took on that humanity because in order to destroy death, he had to die to do it. But of course, he couldn't die as God. So he becomes one of us for the primary purpose of dying. Because it's through dying, he is going to destroy death. He's going to, to obliterate our, our greatest foe, which is death. And this is exactly what God promised that he would do throughout the, the prophetic record. So the Bible, many of you know, the Bible is divided into two parts. It's the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the Old Testament is... A number of things, but it is primarily a message about what God is going to do to remedy the problem of death. That, that's the message of the Old Testament. And then the New Testament is telling us what he did. So in the Old Testament prophets, this is what God declared that he would do. Let me read to you from the prophet Isaiah and then from the prophet Hosea. Both of them prophesied about the same time, about 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, listen to what Isaiah said. He said, in Jerusalem, the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice meat. 
He's talking about a future time. But then he says this, there he will remove the cloud of gloom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. He will swallow death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. So this prophecy is pointing to the time when what Jesus already accomplished will be universally declared and experienced. Hosea, the prophet, said this. And remember, when I, when I say the prophet, we're talking that a person through whom God speaks. So this is God speaking. He speaks through this man, Hosea. He says this. He says, I will ransom humanity from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be your plagues. O grave, I will be your destruction. In that prophecy, God declares war against death. I will be your plague. I will be your destruction. Now, think about this with me for a moment. Death has claimed every human being that's, that's gone before us. And, and no one, however great or small, has been able to escape from the grip of death. I mean, you think of all of the great people that have lived in history, and as great as they might have been on earth, and as powerful as they might have been, and uh, their, maybe their ability to conquer and subdue, and you know, all of the things that they did in their life through their strength and through their skill and understanding and all of that, death brought it all to an end. And not a single one of them could get up from the grave. And that's true of everything in the past, and it's true for the future. There, there is no overcoming death. You know, there's, there's a big effort um, in Silicon Valley to uh, overthrow death and, you know, artificial intelligence and all of that sort of thing. And they're talking about how, you know, we're going to, people are going to be immortal. We're going to be able to download, you know. I don't know if this is exactly how they, they think they're going to do it, but you know, the idea is we're going to download your personality and your brain and everything else. And, you know, we're going to put it in a artificial intelligence kind of a thing, and you're going to be able to go on forever and so forth. Uh, you know, even if they could do that, you're not going to go on forever. You're going to go into the grave. You're going to die. Now, maybe they can somehow tap into your brain and, and they're going to be able to you know, let, let that go on on a hard drive permanently. But it's not going to change your situation. There's just going to be a mirror of you here left behind, but you will have died because we all die. Except there was one man who did get up. You know the word resurrection, you know what it, the, the word, the Greek word, it literally means to stand up again. That's the meaning of the word. And that's what Jesus did. He was laid in a grave, but three days later, he stood up again. No one else before or since has ever done anything like this. And so, of course, uh, Paul, the apostle, looking at these prophecies, he says that these prophecies were fulfilled by Jesus. That, that was the message that he preached. Let me read to you again from uh, Paul writing to the Corinthian church. 
And he said this, for the trumpet will sound, he's speaking of the future, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortality, then the saying that is written will come to pass. Listen, O grave, is, where is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, Paul says, but now listen, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says that what Jesus did on that first Easter morning is a fulfillment of what God said he would do. O death, I will be your plague. O grave, I will be your victory. Paul said, Jesus is the victory over death. Thank God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So let me summarize the message of of Easter uh, with a quote from Sally Lloyd-Jones's book, um, Thoughts to Make Your Heart Sing. Here's a quote from that book. God meant us to live forever, but sin has broken everything and now we, all of us, die. Jesus came to destroy death. He died on the cross and was buried, but death couldn't keep him dead. On the third day, he burst out of the tomb. And now death can't keep us dead either. She makes reference to the preacher Charles Spurgeon. He said that Jesus has turned the tomb into a bed and dying into just waking up. We will still die in the biological sense, but after we die, we will wake as if from a refreshing night's sleep And Jesus will lead us by the hand into life that won't ever end. That is just such a beautiful summary of that. That's what the scripture teaches. And then one additional sentence. Death is just the portal that we go through into the very presence of God. Now, Yesterday, I was um, doing a memorial service for a friend. And um, during the service, his daughter uh, read this quote from Sally Lloyd-Jones. And I said to her, send me that, because that's so good. I want, I want to use it today. So she sent me the quote, and I shared it first service. And afterwards, she said, Um, The last part, death is just a portal that we go through into the very presence of God. She said that wasn't part of Sally's quote. I just added that on there. That was a quote from your wife, Cheryl. (laughs) And so I thought I would give credit to where credit was due here. But that's it. Death is just a portal that we go through into the very presence of God. So this is, this is the biblical message. This is what the gospel is. This is why the gospel is called the good news, because the good news is that death has been defeated. How do we know that death is defeated? Because one man 
rose from the dead. And that was the evidence that who he claimed to be and what he said he would do, that's the evidence that he was telling the truth. So the question is, should we believe the story of the resurrection? Because of course there are many who would say, oh, well, come on, this is obviously a fable and you know we can't believe this. Miracles don't happen. We hear that sort of thing all the time. At our uh, sunrise service this morning, I talked about why that thinking should be rejected. But let me, let me quote to you. I want to quote from a book that I read recently that I really enjoyed. It's a small book. It's called Can We Trust the Gospels? And it's written by Cambridge scholar Peter J. Williams. Listen to what he said in regard to should we believe the story of the resurrection. He said, there are two facts generally accepted even by those who doubt the resurrection. One, that Jesus was buried and later the tomb was found empty. Two, that a wide range of people believed that they had seen Jesus risen from the dead. The resurrected Jesus is recorded as appearing in Judea and in Galilee, in town and countryside, indoors and outdoors, in the morning and in the evening, by prior appointment and without prior appointment, close and distant, on a hill and by a lake, to groups of men and groups of women, to individuals and groups of up to 500, sitting, standing, walking, eating, and always talking. The combination of the empty tomb and the resurrection appearances together would make a very good whodunit, like a mystery. Who? How? What? Very, all of it, very intriguing. He goes on and he says this, one can make a good argument that the concept of the bodily resurrection, which is what is recorded, which we read together today, the bodily resurrection of one person in advance of others would have been very odd within Judaism. And therefore, it is unlikely that early Christians would have invented it. So in other words, he's saying nobody was expecting anything like this to happen. So, so to suggest that they came up with it, they invented it, he said it would be very odd. So here's the question he poses. Can we trust the Gospels? I would argue, he says, that it is rational to do so. This is a man who is an academic, who uh, has spent the majority of his adult life studying uh, the ancient text and and the history surrounding all of this. And he says uh, that trusting the gospels is the rational thing to do. I agree with him. So he goes on, he says, if then Jesus is the word who is co-eternal with God and the one who has come to save the world, then the question of the trustworthiness of the gospels is not a mere issue of historical interest. If the picture of Jesus in the gospels is basically true, it logically demands that we give up possession of our lives to serve Jesus Christ who said repeatedly in every gospel, follow me. Now, 
I said this earlier today, I'm gonna say it again. If Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, we would have never heard of him. There's absolutely no reason to think that we would have ever heard of Jesus. If this was a fable, it's a fable that would have died centuries and centuries ago, if it ever even would have gotten any traction in the first place, which it probably wouldn't have gotten any traction. There were stories, and and of course, there were even Old Testament prophets who uh, perform miraculous types of things. And, And yet even with them, the, the knowledge of that today is, is very limited. Be very limited, probably, to just the Jewish nation. They wanted to talk about Moses and Egypt and the Red Sea and all of that, but you know, it, would, it would be fairly limited to that. But yet, this message of the gospel is a universal message. Now, we heard today, again, that tragic situation in Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka is a long, long ways from where Jesus was born and lived and died and rose again. But the message reached Sri Lanka. And the tragedy of those 200 plus people that were murdered today in that bombing is obvious on the one hand. But you know, on the other hand, thank God that Jesus rose because... Although their bodies have been destroyed through the, through the blast of the bombing, yet we know that they will live on with the Lord. And we know that one day there will be a resurrection even. of the, uh, the, God will put the body back together and make it a glorified body. This is, this is what the Bible teaches. And so if Jesus hadn't risen, none of this really makes sense. But here we are 2,000 years later believing in, worshiping, and serving him. And to me, the best explanation for that is that he is alive. To me, that's the best explanation. Nothing else makes sense. You know, there are well over a billion people, actually closer to two billion people in the world today who claim Jesus as their savior. Two billion people all over the world, every nook and cranny of the planet, people claiming Jesus as their savior, believing that Jesus rose from the dead on that day. I don't know how you explain that if it didn't happen. We have all kinds of objective evidence. I'm not taking the time this morning to go into all kinds of detail on the objective evidence. But we also have that subjective reality. We also have that that experience. So in the end, when somebody asks me, well, you know, why are you a Christian or why do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? I I certainly might put forth the uh, objective evidences for that. But I'm also ultimately going to come down to, I have had an experience with him. Now, I I like to think, I mean, I could just be deluded, but I like to think that I'm a fairly rational person. I tend to be kind of skeptical by nature. And after almost 40 years of 
reading and, and research and speaking and all of that, uh, you know, I've actually come to the place where I'm more convinced than ever of the truth of this. Well, we hear today about the rise of atheism in the culture and there's all kinds of literature. And of course, if you go on the internet, you're going to find all kinds of things. And, and you, you've got these different warring sort of opinions. And some people are proud to claim atheism. But you know, quite honestly, I think atheism is absolute stupidity. And when you look at the atheist worldview, it, it just, it contradicts everything that we intuitively know. One of the leading atheists, he, he basically says, yes, I know it looks like everything is designed. I, I get all of that, but let me just tell you it's not. I know it looks that way, but it's not because I don't think it was, so therefore it's not. And when somebody wants me to believe that the world that I live in, that you live in, is, is really at the end, it's absolutely meaningless, that there is no right or wrong, that there is no good or evil, that there is no real purpose in life that we are just here in this universe that is it's just pitiless and it's brutal and it's just is what it is and you're here briefly and then you're gone I, you know I just flat out reject that view I I don't believe it I don't believe it because I think there's plenty of objective evidence against it but I don't believe it because everything in me as a human being says, no, there is meaning. There is purpose. And you see, if atheism was really true, then again, thinking about the people that died today, what could we really say about it? We couldn't say much. And why would we even be concerned about it or feel anything about it? Well, the atheist says, well, you should. Why? Why should we? And actually, if atheism is true, no, it doesn't make any sense. If we have compassion, if we have feelings, if we think, oh, no, their lives were cut short, if we think any of that, if we think that and we're atheists, you know what we're doing? We're borrowing from Christianity things that really don't belong to us. A well-known British historian named Tom Holland, uh, he's, his histories are... Um, popular histories centered around the Greco-Roman world. And um, he's a brilliant writer. He's a, he's a great, you know, um, popularizer of ancient history. So he wrote some years ago a book called Rubicon. And he's talking about the Caesars. And he has a number of, of books that all deal with the Roman Empire. Well, he's kind of shocked the academic world recently because he's come out and he said publicly that the things in Western civilization that are the best aspects of our uh, culture, like education and medicine and compassion and equality and all of these things, you know what? He comes out and he says, let me tell you that these things did not come to us from the Greco-Romans. 
He said, because their world was brutal. He said, actually, those things have come to us from Jesus and Paul. And people are like, what? Oh, wait a second, Tom. Where are you going with that? But what he's, and he's come to this. It wasn't, he, he hasn't always been at this place. He's come to the place where he just said, the more I look at the facts, the more it becomes obvious that these virtues, these, these things that we hold as, as valuable and, and we identify with these things, as, this is what has made us, uh, you know, our culture a great culture. These, we inherited them from Christ and the apostles. And so, like I said, to me, the best explanation for all of this is that we have a living Savior, a risen Savior. And he is in the business of raising people. And he will raise all of those ultimately who have trusted in him literally out of the grave. But what he does today is he resurrects us in a spiritual sense and he gives us a new life, a spiritual life. And so as you look at people's lives, you see a person that was maybe hateful and violent and they've become loving and kind. And you wonder, well, how, you know, how did that happen? And of course they would tell the story. Well, this is what I did and who I was. And then something happened. I met this man, Jesus, this living savior who died and rose again. And so as we close today, should we believe the story of the resurrection? Should we believe what we read here in John chapter 20? Uh, I think it is the rational thing. And if we refuse to believe it, then we go on in absolute darkness in regard to death and the future. There is no answer. There's not come an answer yet. And I think we can safely say there won't be an answer in the future. But in Christ, there is the answer. Because Jesus said these words. And he said these words to two women whose brother had died and they were weeping over the fact that their brother had died. And he said, your brother will live again. And they were all Jews. And of course, Jews believed that there would be an ultimate resurrection of the dead. So Jesus said, your brother will live again. And one of the sisters said, well, I know that, Lord. I know that he's going to live, uh, you know, in the resurrection on the last day. I know that. That doesn't help me right now. Jesus said, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus said that. I am the resurrection and the life. And you know what he did just a few minutes after that? He, he said, Lazarus had been four days in the tomb. He said, roll away the stone. They said, oh, no, Lord, we don't want to do that. Would not be advisable. His body's begun to decompose. Jesus said, did not I say 
If you believed, you would see the glory of God. Roll away the stone. They rolled back the stone and Jesus cried with a loud voice, it says, and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And this man, Lazarus, came out of the tomb. They had wrapped him in the grave clothes and Jesus said, unloose him. And they did. So you see, Jesus makes this outrageous claim. I am the resurrection. But then momentarily he raises this man from the dead. That gives pretty serious credibility to the claim. But even beyond that, just a short while later, he would raise himself from the dead. And at one point, his enemies said to him, as he came into the religious institution that was corrupt, and he began to chase them out of the temple very aggressively, they said, by what authority do you do this? Who gave you this authority? And Jesus said this. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it again. And this he spoke of the temple of his body. That's what John tells us. So you see, he claimed, I'm the resurrection and the life. And he then rose from the dead to prove that the claim was not an idle claim, but it was a reality. And so today, as we close, this is, this is the claim of Christ. This is the message of Easter. And this is the only hope known to mankind to have a a clear and certain uh, picture of why there is death, what it means, and how it can be overcome. It is overcome through faith in Jesus. Because he said, because I live, and he was speaking about his resurrection that was coming, because I live, you will live also. And he was talking to those who would put their trust in him. Let's pray. Lord, how we thank you that this is true, that this is reality. And Lord, as we stand here, even in the shadow of the the horrible news that we've heard that's echoed around the world of, of once again, death striking Lord, we thank you that that's not the end of the story. We thank you that you overcame the grave. And you did that to defeat death on behalf of all of us. And Lord, I know many here today rejoice in that victory over death that you've already secured for them. But Lord, I would pray if there's a single person with us that has yet to receive this gift, this gift of life that you offer freely, I pray that their hearts would be open. And Lord, that they today, on this Easter day, this resurrection day, would know the resurrection experientially that they would be raised to life spiritually and enter into that wonderful, glorious life that you have planned for them, a life that will go on forever and ever.
Oh, how we thank you for the gift of eternal life. And we praise you. Amen.